towards the end of this week's parsha in Perk Kavdalid, after many lengthy details of very different halachos, Jewish civil law, the story returns to Mamad Harsinai. The Torah narrative returns us to the foot of the mountain where Moshe is told to return, go back up the mountain with Aaron, his two oldest sons, Nadav and Avihu, and 70 elders from amongst the nation. Prior to ascending the mountain, Moshe informs the people of Hashem's wor- words. He builds an altar, a mezbeach, 12 pillars at the foot of the mountain, symbolizing the 12 tribes. He reads something called the Sefer Habris, which elicits from the nation the famous response of Na'asev and Ishma, we will do and we will listen. And then this group partially ascends the mountain. They have some kind of mysterious, transcendent, a prophetic a vision, a miraculous vision of God with some kind of sapphire stone that is bright uh, and shiny. And then in conclusion, we are told a most ambiguous verse, the Apostle tells us, Yisrael, to these nobles, Aaron's children, the elders, Lo shalach yado, Hashem did not outstretch out His hand. What is that talking about? Why would we have thought Hashem stretched out His hand? What would that have meant? Not clear. The verse concludes, V'yechasu esa elokim, they saw God, they ate and they drank. Completely, completely ambiguous, somewhat conf- really confusing uh, pasuk. So, not surprising with all the confusion and ambiguity, the Mepharshim spent a lot of time analyzing this section. And I'd like to divide our presentation now into the two fundamental questions, I would say. Number one is, when did all of this happen? We re- finished last week's Parsha Yisra with the giving of the Torah, Muhammad Harsinai. Then we have this huge break of the bulk of Parshas Mishpatim detailing uh, with many, many, many psukim and tremendous details about Jewish civil law. And then, seemingly out of nowhere, we have these 11 psukim in Parak Kavdalid taking us back to the story at Harsinai. When did actually when did all this happen? How do we understand the sequence of events? This is, in fact, a fundamental machlokas. Rashi, on the one hand, basing himself on the comments of the Medrash in the Mechilta, says we have a principle of uh, biblical interpretation not necessarily did the events occur in the sequence that we read about them in the Torah. Sometimes the Torah will give us a certain sequence of story which is not necessarily based on how they actually occurred. And this, says Rashi, is an example of this. Despite the fact that we're reading this after the Torah was given, after we read about the Torah last week, in fact, claims Rashi, this section actually took place on the 4th of Sivan, a few days before the giving of the Torah. Rashi, in his comments here, goes through a lengthy and detailed reconstruction of events, starting with the 4th of Sivan, where, according to Rashi, that was when the instructions about not coming close to the mountain were given. Rashi goes on to explain how there was a whole group of laws that were given to the Jewish people prior to the giving of the Torah, such as the seven Noahide laws, Moshe reviews and writes down the mitzvahs that had been given to the Jewish people prior when they were at the desert stop of Marah. Uh, he goes through and Moshe writes down the whole Torah from Bereshis until this moment. That's all referred to as a Sefer Habris. That's when he made the altar and the pillars. And then only then did he go up with Aaron and then came Matan Torah. In other words, says Rashi in the Medrash, all of the events described here are prepare, preparatory and preceded the revelation of the giving of the Torah in Harsinai. Disagreeing with all of this is the Ramban. The Ramban says, in fact, the events occurred 
exactly in the sequence that they are described in the Torah. That is to say that what we read here in Parak Chavdalid did not happen before Har Sinai. It wasn't a preparation for the giving of the Torah, but rather it was an integral part of Matan Torah. And when the Torah says here that Moshe read this thing called Sefer Habris, says Ramban, that actually refers to all the detailed laws that we've just gotten through reading in Parshas Mishpatim themselves. And all of this was aimed at the people having informed consent when they said Na'asev Nishma. It wasn't the blind faith, the leap of faith that is sometimes interpreted and celebrated. Rather, says the Ramban, they had informed consent. They had reviewed a sampling of the halachos. They understood even in a small sample what the Torah would be demanding of them. And therefore, they were able to say Na'asev Nishma truly and fully after having received uh, the Torah uh, and the, the parts that they had now received. All of that being said, let's turn our attention now to the end of the section, which is this mysterious transcendent prop- prophetic experience that they had. They saw something, and then the Torah says something about Hashem not stretching out His hand towards them. What, what are we talking about? Here also there is a major debate. Rashi says that this group, the children of Aaron, the elders, were given a glimpse of the divine in a very, very high level, very transcendent experience, but the people did not respond appropriately. Aaron's sons and the elders responded instead by indulging in food and drink, and therefore, even though they deserve death, the Torah testifies that Hashem stayed their execution. He did not do what they should have done. Lo shalach yado. He did not kill them. He did not punish them even though they deserved it because he did not want, want to mar the joy of the moment of the giving of the Torah. And rather Hashem found subsequent moments uh, while they were in the desert to exact the deserving punishment that they uh, truly had deserved given their mistake. Unlike Rashi, Many other Mepharshim think that they did nothing wrong. Rashbam, Ibn Ezra, Babeinu Bechaye, they all say that this just alludes to not something that they did wrong, but rather the fact that there is a typical, natural, expected danger of coming so close to the divine, something that is so intensely transcendent, is just objectively dangerous. And the Torah is describing the fact that despite that fact, they survived, they were okay. And any eating and drinking that they did, as the Torah describes, was in fact appropriate according to these commentaries. It was an appropriate rejoicing for such an experience, just like they compare it to the Kohen Gadol, who we know would make a su'uda to celebrate his safe emergence from the Kodesh HaKadoshim on Yom Kippur, because going into something like the Kodesh HaKadoshim is considered dangerous. So too, they had an intense spiritual experience, it could have been dangerous, but they survived it, and therefore they celebrated. Lastly, the Sforno says that in general, Moshe's Nevu was superior, because he was able to have prophetic experiences while still maintaining his physical and normal human faculties. Other prophets could only see Hashem in a dream when they were sleeping, when they were not fully human. It was otherwise too much for them. So at this moment, they ate and drank. It's a way of communicating the fact that Hashem allowed them to have such a high intensive spiritual and prophetic experience while still being totally human. They had a Moshe-like experience. They didn't have to remove from the physical reality to have this transcendent experience. And this is something that is an ideal for all of us to be able to have spiritual experiences, but some will remain in the physical world.